Welcome, and thank you for downloading Movement Christian Church's sermon podcast. Here at Movement, we are passionate about God's Word and helping each other move closer to God. Thank you for choosing to grow with us today. And now, here's our lead minister, Bobby Wallace. So good to see you guys today at Movement Church. Um, when I was like 10 to 12 years old, um, all previous the years of my life that I can remember, my family had always taken this big uh, vacation week down at Atlantic Beach, actually Pine Knoll Shores, if you're familiar with that area, that's the little area we stay in. And it was my family, my extended family on my dad's side, and it was a really cool time. It was just nothing fancy about the place, but you know, it's this little place that had this nice big pool. And then it was right across the street from the ocean. So, you, you know, for us, we had the best of both worlds. And our whole extended family would get rooms, and we'd all hang out together and go out to eat and do all sorts of stuff. And um, one night, there was even more extended family, some cousins and stuff like, I don't know, the, I can never remember how to do the second and third and once removed and thrice on the whatever you do to, like, designate cousins. But anyway, it was a lot more people than normal this particular year. And we were hanging out at the poolside late one night, and it was like after the lights had already gone off. And it it wasn't like super late. It was still like, I would call it twilight. But um, we were sitting there, we were talking, hanging out, and my family can get really loud. We like to laugh a whole lot. And we were just like cutting up and telling all kinds of crazy stories, memories, and all sorts of stuff. And all of a sudden, I don't know how it caught our attention, but this couple opened up, you know, it's a, it's a motel, basically. It's not a hotel, so it's like outside entrances. And this, this couple on the second floor opened up their door, and for some reason we all just like got quiet, and we heard the noise, and we all looked. I don't know why we all stayed quiet, but they came down, and they came down the steps. And there's like 12 to 15 of us just sitting beside the pool. We're not a small little group that sort of blends in, and it's not pitch black. So they come out, they walk down, and you see like they're sort of like tiptoeing. And, you know, automatically when you see somebody tiptoeing, you're like, okay, what's going on here, right? I've got to watch. Well, they get to the edge of the pool, and all of a sudden, they start, you know, but it ain't got, they don't have bathing suits. And I'm like 10, 12, I'm like, oh boy, (laughs) you know? And I, they get, they they skinny dip, right? Skinny dip, you might know what that is, all right? So they get, as we say in eastern North Carolina, they get naked. Because naked is no clothes, but naked is you don't have clothes on, you're up to something. And so they get naked and they jump into the pool. And like, it was dark enough, we didn't see a whole lot. You know, you just knew what they were doing. And we were all just stunned. We're like, are they really doing this at this pool? Like, the road's right here and all these people can look out the room at any time. And then all of a sudden, we just burst out laughing. And man, you would have thought they were shot out of a rocket. They're like, boom, 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 got their clothes and took off. I mean, it was the craziest. Y'all are stunned that I'm telling this story in church, but I love Jesus. Anyway, so I, they were just, they took off, and man, we just died laughing for 30 minutes. And that was probably 30 plus years ago. And we still all tell that story from time to time because it was just the most hilarious thing. Didn't see anything, but we knew what they were up to. And I'm saying, you pay attention when that happens. Well, uh, fast forward a few years later, a couple of my boys were um, younger, and we went to a football game at East Carolina University. And then all of a sudden, somebody does what can happen from time to time at big public sporting events, especially ones that are on TV. This guy decides he's going to what? Streak. Streak. Jumps off, rips his clothes off, and tries to run out on the field. And, you know, of course, they tackle him, which I would not sign up for that job. I'd be like, I quit if I got to tackle this dude who has no clothes on. But, you know, that was their job. So they did it. They tackle him. They get him off the field. You know, it was no big deal. But I'm saying this, I have this title for this sermon. I don't always focus a lot on the titles of my messages, but this one came to me very clearly. 
Lessons from a naked man. All right, lessons from a naked man. You'll see where I'm going with this if you listen along. All right, Mark chapter 5. Mark chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. It says, They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. This was the first time the reference was ever made off the come on y'all come on come on work with me here a little bit I'm giving you cheesy stuff it's low on the shelf you can grab it really easy it was off the chain all right so not even a chain could hold him nobody could bind him not even with a chain verse 4 for he had often been bound with shackles and chains but he wrenched the chains apart and he broke the shackles in pieces this guy had literally superhuman strength he had a evil spirit in him that gave him superhuman strength so here it goes on next he would break the chains apart tore the shackles into pieces no one had the strength to subdue him night and day among the tombs and on the mountains he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones this is a crazy crazy scenario right can you imagine living in that town, in that village, and you hear him all night long wailing and calling out, and, and you hear him, I mean, and then if you get close, you see what he's doing. It is a bad, bad situation. Luke's gospel, in its record of this guy and this event, it tells us that he was naked. He didn't keep any clothes on. He was always running around. He was tearing off everything, including the clothes, the chains, all that sort of stuff. And then Mark, a little bit later in our account here, he infers the fact that the guy had been naked. And it says in verse 6, And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and he fell down before him, and crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? You know, he runs out, he yells out, and I mean, it's a, it's a sight, right? This guy has got blood and scars and open wounds probably he's dirty his hair is probably a mess he might have remnants of chains and shackles on him who knows because they would continually try to chain him up and he broke it every time right he comes and he calls this out he says what are you here to do with me Jesus son of the most high God and then in the English standard version it says I adjure you by God that's a funny word adjure we don't use that a lot but he's like, I, I demand, I, I command almost, I beg you, I beg you, I plead with you, I adjure you by God, do not torment me. Kind of a funny thing to say, right, to Jesus. Now, now granted, this is earlier in, you know, his ministry, you know, we don't have the whole perspective of history like we do looking back 2,000 years, but still, from everything that's been seen of Jesus, why would he think you're going to torment me, this person? All right, well, there's more playing in the story than we can be aware of sometimes, or at least the people there were watching. And he says, verse 8, For he was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. Jesus was already telling this unclean spirit, this demon, if you will, he was telling it to come out of the man. And so the one that was talking was not the man, it was the, the spirit, the demon. In verse 9 it says, And Jesus asked him, What is your name? He replied, my name is Legion, for we are many. Now, uh, a legion was a, about 6,000 soldiers in the Roman army. That's a lot. 
Now, we don't know if there were actually 6,000 demons in this guy, but I'm here to tell you that there were a lot of them. I don't know if it was a literal 6,000, but there were a lot. Um, I remember back before I really understood the depth of what uh, demonic possession was, uh, I did a psychology class, and I had to do a report. And back then it was called multiple personality disorder. And now it's a uh, dissociative disorder, I believe, is what the, the, the term is. I'm not a psychologist, don't claim to be one. But that, it's something like that. But that was a common thing that was diagnosed. But I read about this one particular case in a psychological journal that... To me, I was like, wow, if there's anything that's demon possession, it had to be this. This one particular young man went through some horrible things and developed these different personalities. And he had one time, therapists counted 120 distinct personalities in this person. And some were male, some were female, and we, if you had your eyes closed and they started speaking, you would think it was a totally different person. This guy had never had, this was pre-Google you know, Google and pre-Duolingo and pre-all these other apps and things. He could speak fluent Japanese without ever taking a lesson. One of his, his personalities was, was Japanese. He, he, went, he did all these crazy, horrible things, that, and all these crazy, horrible things have been done to him. And I'm telling you, it's possible for there to be multiple spirits working inside of someone who doesn't know Jesus. And so this guy says, my name, is, or the, the demon says, my name is Legion, for we are many. Verse 10. And he begged him earnestly not to send him out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him, saying, Send us to the pigs, let us enter them. Now, I want to pause right here, and this is just, this isn't anything, uh, you know, I won't charge you for this. But it says, don't send us out of the country. And that, that's kind of a weird thing for an evil spirit or spirits to say. But to me, now, like I said, this isn't anything here nor there, it's just something to ponder for those of you who are little Bible nerds like me, maybe. In, in the book of Daniel, there is an instance when Daniel prayed and uh, an angel comes to him and says, I was delayed because I had uh, basically had to wrestle with the prince of Persia for, I think it's 11 days, maybe. Forgive me if that's the wrong time frame. But it was several days that the angel said he was delayed because he was in the midst of spiritual battle. And he gives you by saying the prince of Persia the idea that maybe there are certain spirits that are over certain areas of geographic location. And so maybe it's something like this. He said, don't send us out of this area. Maybe they lost some of their power. Maybe they had work, been working really hard. They're not God. Satan is not God. He's not all-powerful. He's not all-knowing. And so maybe they had laid a lot of groundwork, to be honest, in this area and say, said, don't send us out, but send us into the pigs. And it says, and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs, and the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. It's a strange story. It's very, very strange. And I've heard people get upset and say, well, why would Jesus do such a thing? Well, Jesus, he allowed it. And that's a little bit of what we talked about last week. We don't always understand why God allows certain things, but the, the, the killing of the pigs was absolutely the, under the power of those demons, right? They're the ones, he, put, he let them go in there, but then they chose what to do and destroyed those pigs. And there's lots of lessons and things you could imply and you could try to figure out. But I want to go, go on move on. Verse 14. The herdsmen fled and told in the city and in the country. And people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had the legion, sitting there, clothed. All right, remember? 
clothed and in his right mind. I lost my place. There you go. And they were afraid. Verse 16. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened in the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. It's a strange story, right? It's a strange account. It says they begged Jesus to depart from their region. Verse 18. And as he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. And he did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and he began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. This is an interesting story that it's just so many things that sort of spark our questions and spark our imagination. You know, God begs to go with Jesus, and Jesus says no. He says, go and tell everybody about what's been done for you and how God has had mercy on you. You know, there's a lesson there. Uh, yet another time that Jesus makes the point that he is who? He's God, right? We, we've talked about that a lot, where he, you know, lets people know in a roundabout way, sometimes very direct, sometimes a little indirect, but he's saying, go say what I, God, have done for you. Tell everybody. Um, but the odd thing to me is that the people in the town saw this amazing miracle. This guy had been a menace, right? You know, they couldn't go to the uh, cemetery and visit the, the tomb of loved ones. They couldn't walk by that area because they had to be afraid that this guy was going to run out and do something to them, right? You know, we, like, somebody knocks on our door and we will hide under the bed. So don't tell me y'all wouldn't be scared if some crazy naked dude was running around ripping off chains. And y'all with me on that? All right. Okay, just making sure. All right, so I'm saying it's a strange situation when he heals this guy, he fixes their problem, their, their surface problem that affects him a little bit, but they saw this amazing miracle, this guy who was completely untamable, uncontrollable. He now is there in his right mind. He is a totally different guy. And what's their response? Not to fall at his feet and beg him to, to stay, but what? To beg him to leave. And I noticed that that's a trend that repeats itself over and over and over again more than we care to admit. Good religious people want Jesus to leave when he interferes with their lifestyle. You know, these were mostly Jewish people who probably went to synagogue and did all the right things. And, you know, they took care and, and offered maybe the sacrifices as, were, as prescribed. And, you know, they tried to be good religious people. But when they were confronted with the true holiness of God, they said, get away from me. And I'm not saying every person who's religious, every person who is good. And if you notice, I've got good in parenthesis or quotation marks. We, we all know what that means, but I'm not saying that every person who's religious and every person that's good, but it's a common theme we see all throughout time, all throughout Scripture, all throughout history, is that good religious people often want Jesus to leave when he interferes with their lifestyle. And that, my friends, is a problem. Because we are supposed to be the ones who know him and want him to be around us more than ever before. These good religious people, like those Jewish people there, they said, you know, get away from us. We, are, we don't want you around. Often those kind of people are more concerned about their livelihood than they are a soul. 
They couldn't rejoice with the fact this guy had been freed from these demons. They were just worried that their pigs had died. They were worried about what else it might cause them to do. Okay, what else is he going to ask of us next? You know, I've sort of got some things going on in my life. What is he going to ask for me next? And that's a problem with good religious people. They care more about their livelihood. They care more about their lifestyle than they do the soul of anybody. And they completely ignored the fact this guy was set free. Not one person, it says, like, clapped and cheered and was like, thank you, Jesus. They were just ready for him to leave. And a lot of times, good religious people, they avoid broken people. They don't want to have anything to do with those people who are messed up and dirty and broken. They cross to the other side of the road like Jesus told in another story. Because you just don't know what you might be getting into. And there's plenty of reasons and excuses, and I've offered them too. Don't get me wrong. I'm not being judgmental. I'm just stating the truth here. It's easy to forget and avoid broken people. And those good religious people, they often get just enough Jesus to be comfortable. Just enough Jesus in their life to be comfortable and say, All right, I'm much better than those people or these people. I'm maybe a little bit better than I used to be, but don't give me too much Jesus. But they don't want enough Jesus to truly have to follow Jesus. It's pretty intense to think about. But think about the other main character in this story. And we learn the truth here is that broken, messy people often change and beg to be with Jesus. And when they do, they tell everyone. I don't know about you guys, but there have been some people in my life who I have seen Jesus do some amazing things in their life. And I, I'll be honest, I was one of them. But I've seen many other cases where Jesus has changed people from the inside out and it has really changed them. And I'm telling you, that, my friends, is a, man, it's contagious, isn't it? It is infectious, and it gets you excited. It gets you pumped up, and you love to hear their stories. I've told in, in this setting many times, I've told different um, parts of the story of my friend Jose. And I'll tell you that another time. I'm not going to take the time up to tell you that story right now. But my friend Jose came to know Jesus, and his life changed in a radical, powerful way. And so when broken people experience Jesus, they beg to be with Jesus. And when they do, they tell everyone. But let's be truthful, let's be honest, they make messes, don't they? Broken people. And that's why good religious people tend to ignore them and tend to avoid them, because they can be messy. They're the kind of people that will cuss at a Bible study. <laughs> and people are like, ah! It's like, it happens. It does. It's okay. They'll, you know, they'll learn. They'll grow. And, and that's the thing. It's all right. They, can't, they cause messes, and they can cause pain. When you get involved in somebody's life who is broken, they can end up hurting you, whether intentionally or inadvertently. But it doesn't mean that we shouldn't try to help them. Broken, messy people, they take time. And something we've talked about quite a bit recently is time is our most wasted and desired commodity, isn't it? We all walk around saying, I don't have time, I don't have time, I don't have time, I don't have time. And so when somebody broken and messy comes into our lives and we think, oh no, it's going to take more of my time, a lot of times we say, I'd rather just not get 
involved. But when those people truly meet Jesus, they transform. They change in the most radical, powerful ways. So what do we do? What do you and I do to make sure that we don't just become one of those good religious people, but instead we're more like those broken, messy people? So, I mean, is the answer to just never mature and always be a broken dumpster fire of a person? No, that's not what we're saying. We're not saying that it's better to be a train wreck. You know, we're not saying that. We're not saying that at all. Are we saying that it's, it's, it's better to go and experience these huge sins if you've never done those kind of things? You know, I've got to have a, a, a really crazy story. My testimony is not that adventurous. You know, I, I just was away from God, but I didn't have all these crazy things. No, I'm not saying any of that because your story is your story. But here's what we're trying to say. The trick is realizing that we're all broken, messy people. You hear that? Not that noise, whatever that was. Because y'all said. <laughs> but the trick is realizing that all of us are broken, messy people. But most of us like to sit there and be comfortable and think, I'm not that bad. Because deep down, a lot of us wrestle with the idea that we need Jesus, but we only need him a little bit. She really needs him. He really needs him. And so we think, I'm a pretty good person, and I'm glad that Jesus doesn't have to use that much of his grace on me because they really need a lot more. And so since I don't need that much, he can use more on that. You're welcome, Jesus. That's the way people act, and that's the way we think. We might not ever vocalize that. We might not ever say that, but we live our lives that way. We treat our time with Jesus that way. So we realize that we're all broken, messy people, and your brokenness and your messiness may just look different. I think I've offended people because <laughs> we're being really quiet. This is something we've got to get our minds wrapped around is that yes, there are sins and there are choices that people make that have really more severe consequences on this earth, but all it takes is one sin, one, one sin, to separate us from God for all eternity. And your sin might look different than my sin, but it's still all sin. And the Bible says that the wages of sin is death. And that all have sin and fall short of the glory of God. And so we've got to realize that our brokenness and our messiness may look different, but we are all broken and messy nonetheless without Jesus. And that's a truth that we have to wrap our brains around. So here's what we want to do. Jesus talked about being poor in spirit. He talked about being poor in spirit. And that is often a strange term, but I believe what he's saying is, is we need to recognize who we are without him. He talked about humility, didn't he? He talked about being humble and poor in spirit. Paul, the Apostle Paul, talked about God's power being made perfect in what? Weakness. When we are weak, that's when God's power shows up. And Paul also talked about in the, in the letter to the Philippians, he said that um, we consider all of our good deeds and our pedigrees to be excrement. That's what he said. 
You know, consider all the things that you could stack up and say, here's why I'm good, here's why I'm righteous. He said, I forget them all. They are just garbage, they are just trash, they are just, they are nothing to me anymore. So what he's saying is be pure and humble in spirit. So how do we get to the place of recognizing our brokenness in light of the mountain of brokenness we see in other people and keep us from becoming one of those good religious people? that ignores people who are broken and lost and in pain? How do we realize that regardless of how broken we look on the outside or how put together we look on the outside, that we still need Jesus? Well, there's a few things I think we need to admit. And the first one is this. We're all naked. We're all naked. You see, owning who you are without Jesus is important. Owning who you are without Jesus in your life is important. I'm not saying you need to wallow in who you used to be, but you need to never forget where you came from. You, never, you need to never forget the grace that was shown to you and changed you from who you used to be to who you are in Christ and who you are becoming in this body that you have until Jesus comes back or you go to meet him. You need to own that, and I need to own that. And knowing, as I said, who you are in Jesus is so important, too, because some people can never forgive themselves, even though Jesus has already forgiven them. And so they live a life as a continual victim, and they beat themselves up, and they never, ever grow because all they do is feel guilty about their past. Jesus has forgotten it. And I know that's a weird dichotomy of saying you need to remember those things, where you came from, but that you don't need to let it own you. It's not who you are anymore. It's almost like you were watching, you're watching a movie of what, how somebody used to be, but now they're totally different. You've got to remind yourself of that. So you've got to find that balance of remembering who you are without Christ, but remembering who you are in Christ. Did you hear that? And then recognizing the strength of your relationship with Jesus is vital. This is something I believe a lot of us really forget. I struggle with it. I have struggled with it at many times in my life is we forget to check the strength of our relationship with Jesus Christ. We just continue on doing what we do. Um, have you ever had a friend who, you know, you sort of lost track with? Now, sometimes when you get together and you haven't seen them in a long time, you have a really great time and it's like you connected. It's like you never left off, right? That's if you spend a couple of days with them. Am I right? Because what you do when you haven't seen them in a long time is you just talk about what you, what? Used to do. You talk about the old times. You talk about in high school when you did all the dumb things you did. You know, you just laugh and you carry on. But then if you had to spend another two or three days or another week with them, pretty soon it would get a little bit awkward most likely, wouldn't it? Because there was a lot of gap in between when you saw them. And you either got to bridge that gap or it's just going to be weird and awkward. And a lot of times that's the way we are with our relationship with Jesus. You know, maybe at a, for a while we had a really good time with Jesus and we got really close and deeper with him and then we sort of lose track with him. But in our minds, everything's still good. We're still close. We're still connected. But we're living off of the high of six months ago or two years ago or 10 years ago. And we don't have an ongoing relationship with Jesus. And so it's important for us to recognize the health and where our relationship with Jesus is every single day. Revelation chapter 3, Jesus says to a particular church, he says, for you say, I am rich. I have prospered and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and 
naked. He says to an entire church, he says, you think you've got it all together. You think you're just great. You think you're so strong. You think you've got all the answers. And he said, you have nothing. I want you to know. And so he's saying this to the church at Laodicea, the one that Jesus said he was about to spew, to vomit out of his mouth. Is that the way you would want Jesus to speak to you? So check where your relationship with Jesus is continually. Acknowledging your never-ending need for Christ is a necessity. Everybody hear that? Acknowledging your never-ending need for Christ is a necessity. And that may seem, you know, oh, wow, that's, duh, thanks for sharing that with me. I never thought about that. But we don't live like it a lot of times. And we think, I needed Jesus way back then when he pulled me out of the pit. But most of us are just a few steps out of the pit every day, aren't we? Just get headed in the wrong direction and you can end up in the same pit or sadly a different pit. In just a few steps if you're not careful. So recognizing, acknowledging your never-ending need for Jesus Christ is a necessity. And keeping that attitude comes with the next and middle, the second thing. We all need to repent. We all need to repent. Repentance is a word that we do not like in 2022. A lot of people wouldn't even know what it means. But it's a term, a Greek term, metanoia. It means a, a change in mind. It means a, 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 do a, a turnabout, 180 degrees, to turn back around, to change your mind and leads to change in your actions. And what we need to understand is that we need to repent how often? Once, once a year? Once a quarter? couple of times in a lifetime every single day there's something in our lives that we can repent from every single day scientists in uh, 2009 did a study I know that seems like ancient history but in 2009 they put some people out in some wilderness places they put GPS trackers on them I, I think about what GPS trackers were like back in 2009 and I would have been terrified to be on that because GPS back in the day would send you into some crazy places, wouldn't it? You know, I've got some stories, but I won't tell you those. But they put GPS trackers on people so they could track their individual steps. They put some out in wilderness, and then they put some out actually in desert places. And they said, okay, walk in a straight line. That was their only thing, walk in a straight line. And they watched them, and almost every single person who was on that little journey they put them on ended up doing what? Walking in circles crossing over their own path over and over and over again. Whether it was in the desert or whether it was in the forest, they went in circles. And they know, they see that that's what happens to people when they get out there and they don't have a landmark. If they don't have something to fix their eyes on to walk towards, we think we're walking straight, but we're only walking in circles. And the same thing is true of our spiritual walk. If we don't have spiritual guideposts, we quickly get turned around in circles and we can't find true north. And so we need to turn back around and get on track every day. You notice uh, before tractors were uh, given GPS in, in them as well, you know, how people plowed rows to plant crops was very important. You know, even farther back when it was, you know, a, a mule or a horse and a plow pulled behind, they just had to find a focal point and work towards that so they could keep their line straight because what happens is you might be one or two degrees off and you think, well, what's one or two degrees? But when you carry out one or two degrees over 400 yards, it becomes a vast difference, doesn't it? And you're off of your course. And so that happens to us in our spiritual lives so easily. 
2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 9 says, As it is, I rejoice, not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting, what Paul says. For you felt a godly grief so that you suffered no loss through us. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas godly, uh, worldly grief produces death. He's saying, I want you to have godly grief so that you repent and come back to me and, and get back on the path that you're getting off of. And as much as we don't like it, pain and grief can help us turn around when we sin. And so every day we need to orient ourselves to God's Word and get ourselves back on course. And the next thing we need to admit is this. We all need to beg for Jesus' presence. Isn't that a neat example of this guy? This guy who was such a mess, he comes and he begs at the feet of Jesus to be able to go with him. Sometimes even in the church we would call somebody like that a, a weirdo or a freak, wouldn't we? Can we be truthful? If somebody is seemingly overwhelmingly in love with Jesus, we can kind of look at them a little side-eye. Or maybe roll our eyes a little bit. Oh, come on, don't act like y'all don't do that stuff. You're like, oh no, here we go. Mr. Mrs., I love Jesus so much. And some people are fake, yeah, absolutely. Some people are fake, but some people aren't. And even in the church, much less the world, or much more the world, we will laugh at them, or we'll reject them, or we'll avoid them, but we need to beg for Jesus' presence like that guy. You see, when we realize how messed up we are without Jesus, that leads to a hunger for Jesus. That's what the difference is. Matthew chapter 5, verse 6 says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Jesus said that's how you're going to truly be happy. That's how you're going to truly be blessed if you hunger and thirst for righteousness. But many of us have been going to church or attending church or, or being a part of the church for years and we yet have to feel the idea or the hunger and thirst for righteousness. I think about it like this. Have you, um, when you were a kid or maybe as you're raising kids, um, was there a time in your life or your kid's life when all they wanted to eat was like those dinosaur chicken nuggets? That's right, you know, those little like, I don't know that they're really chicken. I, I don't know, they might be like, I don't know what they are. But they, I, don't, I don't know what they are. But little dinosaur chicken nuggets, and you got them some non-dinosaur chicken nuggets, and they're like, how dare you? They're like a little food connoisseur, right? And those things are like a little bit of gravel, a little bit of dirt, and some breading. You know, this is our chicken, right? And that's what they think, and that's what they want. And like, you would offer this child, and I've done this with all my boys, for the most part, have been like this. I, Daniel, he, he was a pretty good eater, but he still had his moments of, you know, I'm going to eat dinosaur chicken nuggets. Andrew was still very much in this. If I were to offer Andrew a steak, he would slap it off the table. How dare you feed me that grovel? You know, I mean, it's like, but most kids are like that, right? They want their dinosaur chicken nuggies, and they do not want this really amazing food. They don't want, you know, prime rib. They don't want filet mignon. They don't want that stuff. They think they know what is best because they've never tasted the what? The good stuff. And as long as you've never tasted it, you think what you have is so much better. And so, I, you know, I think about it this way as well. Um, they, most kids have a stage where all they want is like Kraft mac and cheese that you throw in the microwave. And then, you know, um, I don't know if you guys have ever been to Prime Barbecue here in Nightdale. Man, it will change your life. 
It, it will change your life. It is some good food. I'm not a big mac and cheese person, but their mac and cheese, oh my goodness. I can't go around my mama for a little bit after because you know how they say about it, it's so good to make you slap your mama. I just can't do it. So I got to avoid her. I'll be like, Mama, I can't go see you right now. You'll understand why later. But this mac and cheese is unreal. And, and they'll say, do you want bacon on top? Do you want bacon on top? you really asking me that, okay? Yes, I want bacon on top of my mac and cheese. So they sprinkle, sprinkle a little magic, it floats down. And this mac and cheese, but you offer that to a kid, they're like, oh, that is hog slop. You know, that is horrible. I, I want my Kraft mac and cheese that's like stuck together like a rock. That's what I want. They don't understand. And if we've never had the good stuff, we always think that the bad stuff, the cheap stuff, the, the unuseful stuff is better. And so that's why we settle for less than more of Jesus' presence. Because we've never truly experienced it. We've never tasted the good stuff. And so to crave the spiritual food, it doesn't come from merely reading God's word. I hate to tell you that. I want you to read God's Word every day, but you won't hunger and thirst for righteousness if all you do is read it every day. You definitely won't if you don't read it every day. Everybody hear that? I'm not saying don't read God's Word every day. You need to develop a habit of that. You need to fight for it. But you won't hunger and thirst for righteousness if all you do is read God's Word every day. The passion and the hunger comes from living it. The passion and the hunger for God's Word comes from living it. You'll only want more, and with that, we have to admit this last thing, the fourth thing. We all need to tell our story of Jesus' grace. When you see Jesus, and you see His Word make a difference in your life, that's when you start to hunger and thirst. That's when you get hooked. When you see him make a difference in your life and, you make, and he makes a difference in the lives of others through you and through your story, that's when you really see change. When you see God use you for his glory, that's when you start to get passionate about what Jesus has done in your life. My son Daniel was at camp. We had four campers and one junior counselor at camp this past week. That's a, that's a record breaker for us. I, that should be exciting. Y'all need to clap for that because young kids learning about Jesus is always a good thing. And we, and we want to invite you to go ahead and start thinking about next summer to send kids to Roanoke Christian Camp. It's an amazing camp where kids get closer to Jesus. We had about, uh, when all said and done, we'll have about eight or so, eight or ten people go to camp this summer. Um, and, but my son Daniel was a, a junior counselor. And he had the opportunity, a young kid, uh, 10, 11 years old, something like that, came up to him and said, I want to be baptized, will you baptize me? That's like amazing. I, uh, he texted us, and man, I was, I was so excited for him to, to be able to be a, a small part of somebody coming to Jesus, you know? And this kid got to know him and saw something in him and said, I want him to help me get connected with Jesus, to have my sins forgiven and have the Holy Spirit in me. And that, my friends, is when we start to experience things like that, that's when the hunger and the thirst takes over and runs through us and runs, and we can run with it. Why do you think most of us never get excited about telling our story? Or why do few of us get to the place of begging for the presence of Jesus? You don't have to say it out loud, but I bet you got an answer. I think it's because we forget that we're naked. And we don't repent. 
and we aren't being changed. We aren't being changed and molded and shaped into the image of God. We're staying the same. And so here's what I want you to do. I want you to tell your story. I want you to tell your story. No matter how great you think the story is or how boring you think it is, I want you to tell your story to anybody that will listen. You can tell short versions. You can tell long versions. But tell your story. You can tell it to people who are believers, and you can tell it to people who are non-believers. Look for opportunities to tell little bits and pieces almost every day if you can of how Jesus has changed your life. Even if it's something small, even when it gets difficult, tell your story. Even when you fall. See, that's what a lot of us never do. Well, I'm not perfect. Duh. That's why Jesus came, dummy. <laughs> I mean, that's why I'm dumb too. I say the same thing. He doesn't want you to be perfect. He came because he was perfect and he considers you perfect because of his grace, because of his mercy. So tell people. Tell people about how you messed up. Tell people about how you stumbled and fall, fell and got back up and he forgave you yet again. Because guess what? They're going to do the same thing. And they need to hear that he doesn't just boot them out when they make a mistake after they become a Christian. How vital is that to them knowing the grace of Jesus that you still need grace? Tell your story. Tell your brothers and sisters. Tell lost people. Tell everyone what Jesus has done for you. Tell everyone what Jesus has done for you. So much that they might laugh at you. So much that they might make fun of you. So much that they might think you're crazy. There are worse things in this world than being thought of as crazy by people who don't know Jesus. There are much worse things. Because the truth is, is that people are looking for hope. And you may be the only place that they can see hope in a hopeless world. You. Not me. Not your neighbor, not your friends, not your husband, wife, not the person sitting down the road from you, but you. You might be the only place that people can see hope in a hopeless world. So I want you to answer these questions. Where are you today? Where are you on this, this spectrum, if you will? Where are you in this place? Because all of us are somewhere where we may have been farther down the path, but we sort of turn back around. Like we said, we get off course every day. Answer these questions. Where are you? Do you need to realize that, honestly, you're just naked? Like the church at Laodicea, they thought they had it all together. They thought their clothes looked great, but Jesus is like, nope. Do you need to repent of something? Is there something that's holding on in your life and is keeping you from growing and moving closer to God? Do you need to repent of something today? Or do you need to get to a place where you're begging for the presence of Jesus because you've just kind of been coasting and going through the motions? Maybe you need to decide, I'm going to tell my story. My story is kind of crazy. I, I went far from God for a, a while, for a good while. And my wife, she was always a pretty good person. She had good taste, you can tell that at least, right? Man, you didn't even laugh at that. Let's see what y'all think of me. But she used to beat herself up because she felt like her story wasn't as cool as my story. And she's like, who can I impact? It was like, everybody's not like me. And all God's people said, amen, right? People need to hear your story, no matter how exciting or cool it is. Because she realized that she had a lot of pride because she thought she was so good. 
And there are a lot of people walking around just like that, those good religious people who stay away from broken people and haven't truly been changed that much. And so people need to hear that kind of story. And people do need to hear the story of the people who went off the rails and went into the ravine and exploded and parts went flying everywhere. They need to hear it all, and they need to hear everything in between. So tell your story in any way you can. Tell people of how good Jesus has been to you and how he wants to be good to them too. Let's dance. Thank you for listening to Movement Christian Church's sermon podcast. Want to learn more about us? You can do that by visiting our website at movementchristianchurch.com or on our app available on iOS and Android devices under Movement NC.